Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to all of our viewers and listeners. And assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to our guest today, Imam John. Imam John, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah. How are you doing, Asad? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. I'm good. So I've known, mashallah, Imam John for quite a while now. He used to be in the Charlotte area before he went back home to Oklahoma. Then, alhamdulillah, he blessed us by coming back to the Charlotte area. Um, Imam John is... Uh, is alhamdulillah he's uh, he he embraced islam many years ago i'm not really sure what the correct term is convert or revert so you know i generally just stick with embrace um i don't know if that's even the right term but uh, imam john mashallah accepted islam many years ago he went overseas he studied he's also if i'm not mistaken he's a hafiz of quran and also mashallah he's acquired quite a lot of knowledge of the deen and he used to he used to offer his services overseas um as far as his expertise, you know, obviously he's fluent in English and obviously Alhamdulillah is fluent in Arabic. So he used to offer his expertise, but now he's back in America helping out his communities. And he's originally from Oklahoma. Am I right? Yes, sir. Are you a Sooner, Cowboy? What? What is it? What is your loyalty? Yeah, when I grew up in the house, you could doubt the Bible and Jesus all you want, but sooner born, sooner bred, and when I we see. die, we'll be sooner dead. That was I the creed. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 all the way sooner, hundred percent. Yeah, my dad, my dad actually was on the forty-seven game win streak team that really? was 55, 56 national champions. Wow, mashallah, that's yeah. that's amazing. So what's it called? So hundred percent sooner all the way. <laughs> so what's it called? So then, uh, did you did you actually go to Oklahoma or no? No. Oh, you didn't go there. Okay, so the father did go there. Okay, alhamdulillah, mm -hmm. that's awesome. So, uh, Imam John, uh, you serve in the Charlotte community. It's quite a diverse community. Alhamdulillah, we get on a you know weekly basis. It seems now a lot of people coming towards Islam. Um, we even had people come here all the time. They want to accept Islam, and you know they want to become Muslim. But obviously, becoming Muslim for a lot of people is maybe. For some people, the hard part, some people, the easy part, it's after they become Muslim where a lot of challenges come. And people from my background who were born and raised Muslim, a lot of us, we don't see these challenges. For us, they're like, oh, okay, why is it so hard? But you have come a long way from accepting Islam to becoming an imam of a masjid and leading a whole community in many different places. You've been in Florida, you've been in Oklahoma, you've been in Charlotte. So your experience is much different than the experience that we have. And your experience, seeing it from the pulpit, is completely different. So would you like to let us know a little bit more about yourself? Jazakallah khair and Asad. I, I really appreciate uh, this opportunity to shed some light on a story that people might benefit from and uh, people might find useful, inshallah. Um, yeah, so basically, you know, I came up in Oklahoma, Catholic family that were not really seriously religious. Um, and just as a kid, you know, I always believed in God. I, I worshipped God as like a prayer here and there. And we never really went to church. Christmas, Easter, and just like Eid Muslim type thing. Uh, so um, it was basically I was I was really in a tough place in life as a teenager and had gotten involved with the wrong crowd and noticed some people getting into some serious problems and uh, a lot of uh, confusion about future and what I'm going to do with with life. And so, yeah, I took some serious steps towards learning about religion in a very deep way um, when I was about 18 years old. And so I just came to that epiphany that what I had learned about Christianity, um, it just couldn't settle in my heart that God is a Father, Son, and a Holy Spirit or that God's purpose and his love and forgiveness to us should be to come down 
lead a perfect life, have himself tortured, and then basically murdered. Uh, and then by that uh, act of love, uh, that would forgive us for all of our sins. For me, that just did not settle. And so uh, I came to that place of, well, why should I? I mean, there's many different religious convictions in the world. Why should I assume whatever people believe in Oklahoma must be the correct interpretation of God and, and religion? So, you know, I, I studied different texts. I studied different scriptures, um, talked with different people from different backgrounds. And really interestingly enough, uh, it was it's studying the, the translation of the Quran was probably one of the later um, things that I did just because I had some friends that had kind of gone into the whole Eastern uh, gurus and uh, Buddhism and things like that. So I looked into those things, but similarly with Buddhism, a lot of folks don't believe in God. Uh, Hinduism, when we look at that, we, we see some sort of uh, polytheistic things. It, it couldn't be that there's more than one deity. Um, so basically reading the translation of the Quran uh, really hit me hard and, and made me feel a sense of connection with purpose in life and with my creator, provider, and sustainer, um, and understanding how I will be held accountable. And it all made perfect sense. So that's kind of, you know, how I embraced Islam. And, um, you know, shortly thereafter, about a year later, finally, I found Muslims. And when I started, you know, being at the mosque, that whole cultural uh, strangeness put me in a weird crossroads because I was running around people in the hip hop music and gangster rap and, you know, that wannabe party thug life kind of environment, um, pants sagging, you know, hat to the side, <laughs> you know, back in the 90s. And so I just basically realized maybe I can't rem remember people's names here, maybe certain customs and things, maybe the place seems a bit culturally weird. But when we talk about religion, when we talk about God, when we talk about um, the purpose of life and the genuine vibe of, um, you know, spiritual connection and brotherhood, uh, I, I made that huge decision that I have to leave behind everything in my previous way of living and thinking. And so when I took that decision, I just embedded myself in um, whatever uh, the library, they had a decent English library with, you know, maybe dozens of good English books, started reading all those, attending whatever halakas and things. And, and so alhamdulillah, that was uh, my uh, integration into the, the ummah, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. It's, uh, you know, it, that's only the beginning of the journey. You've come a long way since then, alhamdulillah. So what's it called? Um, but, but it's those baby steps that a person takes, which, you know, takes them the furthest and uh so one of the things which stands out about you um is the usage of john rather than yahya and, and we're being totally open imam imam john imam yahya is very comfortable answering this question um i'm not posing a question he won't like we discussed this beforehand even um so i know a lot of times when people become muslim immediately they're told that oh your name is so and so change it immediately and, and in certain conditions and certain circumstances some people want to change their name maybe they're coming from a background which they didn't enjoy their name but in your case um, you did you did at, at for some period of time use Yahya and then I think as as you developed an understanding more education stuff like that um, you came to some sound reasoning 
why to use John and why it's better for da'wah even. And, and can you explain that? And overall, when people yeah. accept Islam, what, what they should come in thinking about their names and things like that. Trying to, trying to change their identity immediately. That Don't do that. Right. And that's that's really what it... See, for me as a new Muslim who knew I needed to transform as a human being and who felt like, obviously, I don't know the ins and outs of the religion and these people in this community probably would should know it better than me. So when they come as a group saying, now you need to pick a new name, it seemed like that's some sort of official teaching of Islam. So I went along with that and we had a discussion and, um, you know, because originally it was like, you can't be called John because that's, you know, a Christian American name or something like that. And I was saying, you know, in the translation of the Quran that I had, you know, John is a prophet of God and praised uh, in different places. And so they said, oh, no, what you mean then is Yahya. So that was kind of like the way it stuck. And so after that, everybody called me Yahya. Now, the problem was my non-Muslim family, starting off with my mother, was not happy that I'm saying I have some new name that nobody can pronounce. And then even with the Muslim community, a small group of Muslims properly pronounce ha. So it's yaya, <laughs> which in Arabic would mean like, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. So um, I went, you know, at the time I went along with it and I, I understood it to be, you know, part of the process of change. And it was the funny story is when I was in Egypt studying, there was a scholar named Osama Kusi, Allah uh, uh that was giving a lecture. And after I had been blessed to get a good hold over the, the Arabic language, I was attending one of his lectures. And so after the lecture, and mashallah, he used to have a good, uh, you know, 100 people come to his after Asr lecture, mashallah. Um, so afterwards, I went across the street to get my haircut. And as I'm sitting there, the sheikh comes in and he sits next to me waiting for a haircut. So he introduced himself and, you know, asked me who I was. And when I told him, I'm Yahya and Amrika and all that, and he says, he says, Yahya, anta Lukani, you don't look like a Yahya. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, you know, Yahya is an Arabic name. And I was like, yeah, of course, but, you know, this is like my Islamic name. And the Sheikh was even telling me that there's no such thing as an Islamic name. Um, there's an un-Islamic name. But anyone who's Muslim, no matter what language it is, once he's Muslim, that becomes an Islamic name. And he made the point that the word Omar and Talha and Uthman, these names don't really mean much in Arabic. They don't have really a profound meaning. But now a lot of people are known by that simply because of the the, the integrity of the people who were named that. So then he went into the point of honoring your parents and how if your parents named you that name and it's not, not against Islam. Because obviously if you had a name like Christian, which is a common English name, you would have to change that because that's related to a theology that's problematic. Really? Um, I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a lot of people named Christian. No, no, and no. It's no. Interesting. Like, 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 what's it called? What, what would be some names that you would suggest changing? That you know, not suggest or would would go against theology. You know, so they would get a suggestion to change the name. Right. So, for me, um, that's pretty much the only cut and dry English name that seems pretty obvious. There are there could be some others. I've known some people that brought the point Christopher and its related mm. related nature, uh, but I've heard a response to that. So 
in English, you know, obviously in the time of the Prophet wasallam, there was Abdullah and Abdul Shams and Abdul Uzza and and these type things. Uh, and then amongst Christians who were who were living in the Arab tribes uh, in the northwest of Arabia, there would be Abdul Masih, uh, and that would become you know slave of anything but Allah would be a problem for them. So. Um, that's where the Prophet Sallallahu and some people with bad names like Murr and Harb, Sour and War, the Prophet changed their names to good, beautiful names uh, to yeah. kind of encourage them and give them a good meaning. So, yeah, so that's basically, alhamdulillah, how my name change uh, went back. So I was in Egypt and then it's funny because when I went to Kuwait to study after that, um, I started working at Islam Presentation Committee and there was a Saad Al-Anazi, a good friend of mine now, mashallah. He was the uh, HR, the human resources. So at that point, you know, I'd become known for a little bit, you know, kind of doing dawah and things like that. And, and uh, you know, whenever I came there, you know, they know I'd been studying Sharia and things like that for a few years. And so um, they, he was like, Wallahi Sheikh John, hello. Yeah, I Sheikh John. Because he's looking at my passport and everything. He's like, so you're Sheikh John, you know? Um, and so they actually called me that for a couple of years until my son Majid was born. And then, of course, in the Arab world, the kunya Abu Majid became very common. Um, once you have a, a kunya, then that, that's pretty much standard in the uh, Khadij. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So what's it called? I think your other child, their name is Justice, right? Yeah, my last son is Justice. And I did that on the same point because there is no such teaching in Islam that you need an Arabic name for your child. Uh, the Prophet Sallallahu he encouraged us to use good names, Asma' yeah. Hasana. He didn't yeah. say Arab names. Uh, yeah. And uh, the Prophet Sallallahu made the point, La fadl that there's no precedence or superiority of an Arab over a non-Arab and vice versa, except for by piety. So we don't believe that Arabs have any sort of the Arabic language is superior to any other language. We know that the Quran is superior to all language simply because it's Kalam Allah. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so that's what we wanted to, me and my wife were thinking about different names. We said, you know what, let's pick a really good name that's English, that's very Islamic, and yeah. then just make a point, particularly as an imam's son. So we picked justice just because obviously the world needs a lot of justice right now. Yeah. So actually, I saw that on a Twitter thread the other day. It was a Twitter thread that you were a part of, and I was, I was like, you know, that I, I should ask about this. You know, it's a, it's a good point. Um, so you, like we discussed earlier, you're born, bred in Oklahoma. Um, you grew up, you know, at this point in time, you've been all over the world. Can you explain to us trying to find the balance between being an American and being comfortable with our Islamic values? How do we find balance? You being obviously a person who embraced Islam, but even a lot of us who were born and raised here, um, a lot of times we come to odds. Like, how do we find the balance? Like, I, I'm not, I, I come from a Pakistani background, but I'm not Pakistani. Um, and obviously I wear jeans, I wear a shirt, stuff like that. How do we find that balance? Like, you know, not just the clothing, but in general, in culture and society, yeah. how do we find that balance? I think this is a question that if you answer will help a lot of people, despite or, it, you know, it doesn't matter their background. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that's one of the biggest issues we have to kind of get a hold on as an American Muslim community um, because the the nature of Islamic discourse, the word ma'roof in Arabic, it means that which is known to be good, obviously, first through revelation, but also by sound, rational intellect, as well as the accepted norms of the people. So if the accepted norms of the people are not conflicting with the teachings of Islam, then those become ma'roof. Um, and what they are against, which 
does not have any something that's not praised in Islam, but the society is against it, then also that would become munkar. Uh, because um, the people all see it as a bad thing. So Islam actually has this written into the tafsirs long ago. So this is not a, what we're talking about here is not westernizing or Americanizing Islam. We're talking about how does Islam by its natural, traditional, historical, scholarly uh, essence integrate and, and interact with a, another society. So I think the best way to explain it is to say that we have to have a good firm rooting of uh, our scripture and our revelation and the fundamentals of the religion and the, particularly the agreed upon uh, realities. And then we need to understand the nature of disagreements among scholars and be open and recognizing that there are disagreements. So anything that's not conflicting with Islam clearly. So imagine there are two opinions among scholars. And when we say scholars, the history of, or if it's a newer issue, prominent, well-known scholars have disagreed on an issue. One of them fits in our society where we live, and the other one's going to conflict with it. So chances are the reason that scholar is against it has something to do with not living here. So I remember watching, um, even in fatwa, you know, and this was Imam Shafi'i when he wrote his book Al-Um, and he made the point that Al-Fatawa Tataghir Hasban Makan was Zaman al that the uh, application of divine law will have differences um, on the same issue based upon time, place, and circumstances. And he made the point when he traveled from Iraq to Egypt in his life, his students that were very, you know, you know, strong followers of his, um, they were confused why he would give different fatwas on the same matter. So he made this point to them. The, the, the issue did, relates differently here in the circumstances and how it affects them where over there. So we're not talking about changing the fundamentals. We're talking about the many branches, which are perhaps 90% of the religion. Um, so basically the way we look at it as, um, as a Muslim, so that's why I say American Muslim. So first we're souls, you know, we're a soul. That's what we are. And we come from heaven and the angel brought our soul and then it was breathed into our mother's womb. So then we're born into the world and then we live in the world. So then we will form different association. So American is one of those. Uh, if we're born here and this is the society we're raised in, so we become American Muslims. So that's why I prefer, because when it's, uh, you know, uh, when you say Muslim American, with all due respect, it doesn't, I don't, it might just be semantics here, but it seems like you're making American the fundamental person and the adjective of that person is that they happen to be Muslim. Um, so like uh, that's, uh, so, you know, I think basically as Muslims, um, we need to not, so I understand the essence of the point. This is what I was going to say, <laughs> that if you're coming from a place where you don't know too much about another place and where you come from, most people were Muslim and it was a Muslim society and it has Islamic values in it. Then when you come to a place where you're not, you're going to be on guard and you're going to be concerned that maybe something is at threat. So you're going to be kind of suspect. So there may be an inclination naturally to try to just see where things might be against Islam. So then people start reading into or trying to find how being American, and then people make the misnomer of relating the word American to being non-Muslim or even immoral. So you say the Americans, or don't be like American, or my American friends referring to your non-Muslim friends as though being American is synonymous with being uh, non-Muslim. So those things have kind of cultivated this. Plus, you know, a lot of the Saudi kind of indoctrination of the world, clash of civilizations, us and them, 
Um, a lot of what happened in the subcontinent with the British coming to really force their ways on, you know, I always tell people, if I was living in the deal bend, you know, 80 years ago, 100 years ago, I would have probably been a hardline deal bendy, you know, because I would see that these people are coming here to aggressively push me away from my values and my religion. So I need to counter that. Right. Um, and that made sense then. And it had its point. But I don't think it fits here living in the West today to kind of be on guard um, about everything and feel like there's a threat against us by by virtue of being here. Well, 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 it's nice to know you're over the Obandi like us. So it's Alhamdulillah. <laughs> but but I mean, you you see um, even till today a lot of the damage that the colonizers have done in places like Pakistan and India and Bangladesh, where they're still like, I had a guest on a few weeks ago. He's from Atlanta. He's an Imam, Imam Arshad. And we were talking about uh, atheism and how it's, you know, how it's damaged Muslim societies overseas. And he's like, if you look at secularism, which happens in a lot of countries and they try to push it, he's like, that is, you know, basically the child of atheism. He's like, mm -hmm. where they're trying to take away the religion and leave some values. And, you know, so that's, you know, the real push. So obviously translating that to the USA, where there's not really a push on us for the most part to, you know, embrace a Christian way or anything like that. You were answering the question, how do we how do we continue with our, you know, being a Muslim? Yes. Yeah, so so but being comfortable. the main thing is to make sure that you are uh, seeing your um, first affiliation is with the believers. So there's a human family and there's yeah. citizenship. Islam recognizes the neighbors and when the, the eye of Ihsan, you know, it says, So these are three different categories of people who are living around you and it does not qualify them as Muslim. Uh, so we are obligated to have Ihsan, to have righteousness and to be fair and just with all of our neighbors who are not uh, actively work. So obviously there are people who've clearly exposed themselves or made themselves out to be enemies of Muslims and the religion of Islam. So we're not trying to make friends with them or fit in with them. That should be a clear, um, we, we, we are not uh, loyal to them and we don't owe anything to them. And they are lakum dinukum wal yadin. You see, that's where we, that's where we bring that uh, from Surah Al-Kafirun. You have your religion, I have mine. If that's how you feel, please leave me alone and I will go about my business, you go about yours. Um, but with the general society who are mostly fine and don't have a problem or ignorant and need to f understand. And so the, the best way for them to understand is to relate with them. So the ayah from Surah Ibrahim, that's all of us now because the Prophet Sallallahu has passed away. Um, and so now we're carrying his message. And so we are his messengers to America. So we have to know and learn the tongue of the people. And some of the commentators on this ayah that we never sent a messenger except speaking in the tongue of the people, that word was used to mean that which represents everything they understand and relate to. Um, so language is, is al-bayan, allamahu al-bayan. It's the fundamental human uh, representative uh, quality. So we have to relate with our neighbors and, and be friendly with them and try to um, help them understand Islam first and foremost by who we are and how we live. And then secondly, if there is an opportunity, not that we're trying to preach at people and annoy them, uh, but if there's an opportunity to explain and shed light on Islam, we should definitely always be confident and comfortable to do that. But being involved in the mosque, making sure that we're active in mosque uh, leadership and, you know, taking the generation of, of people born here 
And, you know, some of the mosques have this whole legacy kind of elder mentality, and some of them are a little bit rigid about it. You have to push back to that. It's not that you're disrespecting the elders, because, of course, that's against our character, but that you would respectfully let them know that um, I understand, uncle, where you're coming from. And if we were in Pakistan, I would totally, or if we were in Egypt or Palestine or wherever it may be, Nigeria, you know, I would understand that. But here today, we have to take ourselves in a direction where we can own our religion and at the same time be good neighbors and be known um, and appreciated for who we are. And so that would require the people who are making the policies and hiring the imam and encouraging the type policies and attitudes within the, the community um, that we are best positioned to do that. So it's not, it's just a democratic shura uh, type uh, place. And so then when you're in your workplace, when you're at school, Never the Prophet don't ever belittle yourself. Always feel confident and proud and the dignified in your faith and, and know that being Muslim is something people will appreciate. There's a very strong culture in America that when people stick to their values and their values may be different, but actually have integrity and they make sense. So people, you know, with certain groups that you saw in the recent political and you know cultural movement uh, it just went into insane weird ideas that everybody can see is nonsense so but islam alhamdulillah doesn't have any of that um the vast majority of the values that we hold strongly to in our fundamental character and beliefs and creed it makes a lot of sense and it is about human welfare and it is about removing uh harm and corruption from society uh, whether you choose to agree with it for whatever inclination you have at least you could appreciate it when you know what it is. So I think it's just about being confident and comfortable in who you are with your knowledge, being close with Muslims, but also befriending and making a relationship with your neighbors and your home associations, your school boards, uh, in your public schools. Um, be confident to speak out. When curriculums come out saying something cross or, or crooked about Islam, I'm not going to stand for this. This is wrong. This is not what our faith teaches. This is not what we believe. And I, I completely disagree with this, and, and I think this needs to be changed. This type of attitude will definitely um, resonate in the future generations. I'm sorry, I can't hear you right now. Oh, alhamdulillah, that was some good advice. I turned the mic off. I turned it off so I make sure there's no voice coming from my side when you're talking. Um, so what are some struggles that people who embrace Islam face? First, from their family and friends, then from the Muslim community, and what are some ways we can help them navigate these struggles? Because it's it's well known that when a person becomes Muslim, that when they go to the masjid even, a lot of times they feel left out. And we really don't want them to feel left out. I try my best all the time to help my brothers and sisters out who become Muslim in our local community try to integrate. And I, I we even had a person become Muslim two, three weeks ago. Um, I told them that you should really get in contact with MCC and take your classes. I think you guys still have some active classes going on, the new Muslim classes, which really helps people integrate and become a better Muslim. Yeah. So what are what are some of the struggles and how can we help out? So the first thing I'm going to go ahead and try to tackle the whole convert versus revert, just simply because it creates a problem with non-Muslims specifically. Um, there is no teaching of Islam that says that someone is born with a capital M Muslim on the capital I Islam. So Kulun Yuladu al Fitra, that we're born with the natural inclination to Islam in the general context, not in the specific of Risala, but in the general inclination that there is a creator 
and he is all knowing and all powerful and hears and answers prayers and that um, we should seek him out and we should try to do his will because we are morally accountable. We can see right and wrong and we see that. So that's built in everyone. Um, there is no one born with a Trinity understanding. There's no one born believing that God must come down and die for their sins. There's no one born being actually, there's actually very little evidence of anybody who came from any culture or society that was born believing there's no God. Like that's a strange belief that you have to decide later. Every single culture on earth, every single civil, there was, I remember, mashallah, Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Omar, I can't remember his last name. One of the great, uh, mashallah, uh, you know, scholars uh, of the recent uh, decades. Um, He made the point that there was an Austrian philosopher that did a research and found that the, the word for the supreme being, creator of the universe, is found in every single culture and society. And he did this anthropological survey for decades all over the world and found that there is no society that just naturally believe that there's no God, right? So uh, you convert to the message of the Prophet Muhammad from the fitrah, but you did not know of the Quran. You did not born praying praying five times a day following Prophet That's something you have to convert to from not knowing it. So, but the fitra is what leads you there. So when you say convert, when you say revert and you try to explain that to a non-Muslim, you're basically trying to tell everybody, everybody's born Muslim, which to them sounds nonsense, right? And they have a point because if you were to ask any small child who's three years old, born somewhere else, tell me about Prophet Muhammad and the Quran and the Salawat and the Siyam and all of that. And they say, I have no idea what you're talking about, unless they were born over there. You see what I'm saying? Where there's societies who are majority Muslim. Now, so back to the the convert integration, um, the first thing and the single most important thing is to befriend and to just be an emotional, uh, easygoing supporter of a convert rather than the sheikh, mentor, uh, teacher um, of the of the convert. So a lot of people are really excited to teach a convert uh, all the things about Islam and, and to help them to uh, see what they know and what they've forgotten is that their knowledge of Islam, no matter who they are, even myself, um, is is limited by a certain bias or a certain scope and experience. So to expose them to easy to follow, uh, like to commentaries of the Quran, hadiths, basic basic books that will just teach, I, I you know, so I don't. We get into this point because of the whole traditionalism of school of thought, and I don't want to derail this thing because it's gonna that could go into a whole other angle. But in in summary, I think there was a wisdom that uh, Allah chose to inspire great scholars, and four of them became very well ingrained in the Ummah, so that we could have a a fully uh, codified body of understanding of the law of worship and uh, character as a legal code. So that's important. And it was there for a reason. And there's no, it doesn't make any sense for anybody to claim that we need to just throw out that or that we don't need it because we have eyes and hadith. Um, and so somebody might want to go through that route at some point, but definitely it's going to confuse a convert for sure. So to just say, here's eyes and hadith on the subject for them to introduce them and then let them find on their own search and let them ask questions and to be humbled to say, 
you know, well, this is what I do, but I know there are other scholars with different interpretations. We have a very rich tradition of analyzing the scriptures. And so there are different ones. Then let them find what fits for them. And see here, this is not a person that's using the religion as some people would accuse unfairly to suit their desires. They're actually just trying to make sense of the religion. And so to force them into one person's interpretation, particularly someone coming from a critical Western mindset, to say, I must follow one person's way of looking at things who is not a prophet, and they're just a human being with amazing, amazing intellect and great respect in the ummah, but there are many others just like them. Um, I should navigate that on my own. I think that's what I found the vast majority of them. Um, and sometimes they'll come and they'll say, yeah, I found it overwhelming. If you have a school of thought, they make that choice on their own. And then not to reprimand over minor issues. So if someone's, even if someone's drinking alcohol or using drugs, marijuana or whatever it may be, you could tell them it's not good for you. You know, the, you know, uh, in the Quran, it was prohibited, but you don't say you need to quit that. Otherwise, you you know, if you come off condemning, then the person becomes hopeless. They may be addicted or whatever it may be. So you just in a nonchalant, easygoing way, just let them know that there is a, a, a reason why that there is a teaching of Islam against this. But let them be. Even it's happened to me when a convert came to me when particularly a few years ago when Ramadan was in the heat of the summer. Brother comes up to me, just converted a month before Ramadan. He's like, Imam, yesterday I was trying to fast, but it just was so heavy and I had a bad headache, so I just broke my fast. What does that mean? It would be terrible for someone to tell that person that now you're disbeliever, you need to fast. Not to say you have to fast two months in a row. <laughs> the person couldn't fast one day, <laughs> you know. Um, so what I tell them is I say, look, just like, we treat them just like someone who's young coming up. Say, how about just try to go to noon? And then maybe the next day, try to go to one or two and then see if it works and it makes it, it could get easier on you. Because when we look at the, we call it tadarruj fit tashriya, the legislation did not come all at once, even for the Muslims of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. You know, people get really uneasy and bothered when they find out Omar radiallahu anhu used to drink alcohol regularly until it was fully prohibited. And he even had this battle with himself over it. And he would say, Allahumma, you know, oh Allah, give us a clear um ruling on alcohol so that we can you know know where we stand you know and then finally when it came he said i will never drink it again and he never drank it again um but it took him many years and allah understood that so for some people it will take them time to become you know like for example myself I, when i came into the religion it, it was pretty easy for me to quit alcohol just because it was very clear in there and i could see my dad had problems with that but as far as other things I wasn't able to quit until a year or so later. You know, I wasn't praying. I was praying in English for almost an entire year, like nine months. I prayed all my salah in English. Had somebody have come to me and reprimanded me, said, your prayers are unacceptable. And I probably wouldn't have stayed around. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. So we let have to let people, spirituality is delicate. And we see that with our own community of people born and raised Muslim, that they're struggling because of this very rules and regulations controlling mindset of how the religion is understood and communicated it needs to be more of a spiritually uplifting loving compassionate benevolent concern for people's well-being and just a easy nudge in the right direction and away from evil um, and just lessons like if you left that this would be ben big benefit for you and this and that and the hereafter and in this life and then let it be and then if you you know a week later you know you might 
mention it again. Like I know of a person who's actually pretty well known who came to Islam a couple years ago and um, he's struggling with, he has a girlfriend and they live together and that that's, he hasn't married her and he's struggling with this. Um, so many people have condemned him and I've told him, look, you know, you, you, at some point you will have to make a decision, but Islam is not um, canceling out by sins. You know, that's a very important point. And we are all sinners, you know. Um, I had a woman come to me one time. She said, you know, I'm a lesbian and I want to become Muslim. And I said, well, when you say you want to become Muslim, is that because you have really studied in the Quran and you believe it's the word of God sent to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him? Um, and she says, yes. And then it was interesting, her very deep insight. She said, you know, I read about the people of Lot, but from what I understood, this was men being with men. I didn't see anything about women being with women. This is interesting. So she's actually really looking for the ruling, right? Um, and if you were honest with ourselves, we can't even find a literal authentic hadith that condemns that one. Um, so I explained to her the analogy and the purpose of the analogy. And the Islamic law, I said, so you know that there's no official teaching of the Quran or the Hadith that says you can't shoot heroin, right? Prophet didn't say that. It's not in the Quran. So is that up for, and she said, well, how can you compare the two? And I said, well, there's this fundamental thing. And I explained to her about the family and the, how family is and, and desires and uh, people who've left that way even after 10, 20 years of, of choosing to be that way. And, you know, there is a very strong identity movement um, on something that really is just a certain desire you have. You're like, like, I like to play basketball and I played in high school for a team. So I, I, I know, I, you know, but I'm not going to go presenting myself to everyone as, I'm a basketball player. You know, that's who I am. It was something I choose to do. If I, if I get like, for example, in COVID, I stopped playing ball. It didn't kill me. I'm not dying because I can't play basketball, you know? Um, so, you know, th that's a whole other subject for another time. But um, at the end of the day, she converted and as far in Oklahoma. And I, I think, you know, as far as I know, she's her dad also converted. He was a hardline um, Republican Mashallah. Trump Mashallah. guy as well, you know? And so his whole thing was he had this epiphany that, I've heard all these terrible things about Islam. And then whenever I just, I, with this guy, the way he talked, I just took him to the Quran translation and I brought up ayah after ayah. I said, this is what I, and he said, how could everybody be saying all these things when clearly your religion doesn't teach that? And I said, well, you have to think about that. If it doesn't teach that and everybody feels the need to make a story, then it's politics, right? And see, because he's all about politically correct and, and that whole thing is wrong. We should just speak the truth and, and all of that. So, um, that worked with him. But yeah, I think mainly work people through the delicate process by being a supporter and a friend, understanding and realizing that it's not easy. Um, we all have sins we struggle with, every last Absolutely. one of us. So nobody should be like, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to tell you how it is um, as like some enforcer of the truth, but more so as just a supportive friend as we would need in, in encouraging ourselves against our own sins and struggles. Well, one uh, one time I remember there was a brother who came to the masjid. He had done a shahada on his own and he came in and he's like, I want to do a shahada. We're like, well, you already did it. You know, we don't need to go through it. But went through it, the whole thing. And what's it called? Um, we were explaining Islam, you know, on a basic level to him about like you understand what you've what you've entered now into, and, you know, slowly, slowly explaining things to him. Like, look, if you 
do certain things you want to slowly let go of them and stuff like that and then there was an older uncle sitting there um and he starts explaining you know uh, in islam a lot of us you know who come from cultural backgrounds we have symbolism he starts explaining to him oh when you go to mecca and you see the kaaba and the pigeons don't fly over and we're like like you know what just leave that he's <laughs> he's not gonna understand it and there's no like there's no like wow pigeons don't fly over it like oh my god something special is happening there's there's you know there's just that symbolism and there was a sheikh last week he had a twitter space going on his name is sheikh abdullah ayaz from toronto and uh he was talking about that he's like a lot of times we get caught up in symbolism and we use that as a token to hold on to our iman he's like we really shouldn't need that he's like there's so much truth in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation we don't need tokenism or you know the scientific miracles of the quran you know for us to see allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation he's like people they accept islam people they see islam and they see allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation like that and they can accept it. he's like we don't need tokenism and so a lot of times we get stuck in this tokenism like oh uh, look at this tree it's growing in between two rocks oh mashallah that that is the beauty of the creation of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but that shouldn't be the token that your iman holds on to so right. a lot of times when people become muslim and we try to show them these miracles they're more lost than found when they're like, oh, okay, what, what does that mean? Um, so so I remember I had on a guest, his name was Imam Wesley LeBron from New Jersey. Um, he's a Puerto Rican sheikh who became Muslim. And he said one of the things about it is when he became Muslim, he immediately jumped right in. He's like, I showed up the next day wearing a thobe, you know, and my family, they see me, he's Puerto Rican, they see me. And his aunt thought that he had become gay. And so... <laughs> She she told his cousin, and his cousin comes to him to essentially argue or fight. He's like, "Yo, cousin, you know what? What's wrong? Why'd you become gay now?" He's like, "What do you mean I became gay?" He's like, "I heard you're wearing a dress around everywhere, and uh, you know." And he's like, "I understood from that point that it's not, you know, after some years, I understood that it's not necessary for me to be walking around in a a thobe every single day." He's like, "I wear it at times." He's like, "I enjoy it." He's like, "But it's not like you know, you completely throw everything away, and now you know, I'm I'm an Arab now, you know, essentially." And, and that's what a lot of people struggle with um, when they become Muslim with their families. So how, how can they integrate or explain to their families now that, you know, now I'm a Muslim, I'm not going to throw my whole identity away. How, yeah. how do you do that? Yeah, and that's, that's very important. And what I tell people is try to build bridges where you, because a lot of them have some crazy ideas. I mean, so many families think that Muslims just don't believe in or, or that we're against Jesus, peace be upon him. Um, and so... Uh, the first thing is just to relate it to them in ways they can understand and without criticizing or defaming their religious convictions, just to talk about the oneness of God, talk about the nature of prophets and that their their responsibility is to give the message and to be an example and that we're accountable and that what we do and say is something that has spiritual worth and that spiritual worth will be weighted on the day of judgment. Just fundamental creed stuff, build bridges with them. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah that was promised, um, you know, and then when they when they ask questions, you know, why not this? Why not that? Um, you know, just say if you're if you feel comfortable and you, you have a good answer. Yeah. But always, you know, converts need to realize that I don't even Malik said <laughs> I don't know is a third of sound knowledge. Um, that if you're not sure about the evidence or the or the or the, the proof of, of a claim in the religion, before you st start talking on behalf of Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, then you should just say, you know what, I'm not sure. I, I will I will ask a scholar. I will I will study the matter a little bit better. And then even just the notion that 
our faith is built on an intellectual connection to revelation, the vast majority of non-Muslims don't see it like that. It's more emotional to them. And of course, many Muslims are like that. That's where we're at as an ummah. Like you said, the tokenism is part of some emotional kind of, there's a lot of emotional connections to things that aren't really rooted in scripture or exaggerated about scripture that they're assuming are, are the, are the point of faith or the, 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 the mechanism that, that, that keeps them strong. Whereas for us, it's about every believer should be a student of knowledge. Um, that's not for imams and sheikhs. Even a lot of people don't even understand when I, I explain to them that imam is not like some ordained holy status. Like I'm not any more holier than anyone else. Allah knows best. You know, God is the judge of hearts and we are seeking to purify our hearts. I just happen to be in a position of studying knowledge and teaching the knowledge and being trained by other imams to kind of put the community in an inspirational leadership, you know, position. Uh, but I have my faults and shortcomings and nobody should look at me as like, oh, I'm on this level above them or something like that. Um, we're all just knowledge seekers on the path as sinners trying to do our best. And, um, you know, I think that helps for converts a lot because a lot of times when I meet them, they have this kind of reverence and awe. And I mean, we do have that in our tradition, actually, about respecting people of knowledge and all that. Um, but I think respect is is more here about not if you haven't studied thoroughly as someone else has, then you should be humble and listen and 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 realize that they that person probably will have a better understanding or a deeper knowledge than you and and not like boast or like try to prove yourself over them just because you you think you know something when you didn't spend all that time studying um but this you know kind of this attitude of looking up to people um so i think you know i think going back to a little bit of a tangent there going back to your question about parents and family and integrating um helping the family to realize that we are not um, so much different. There's so much in common. Uh, this famous ayah about first call people to words that we can agree upon, which it says, you know, the oneness of God, that worship and, and lordship should be to the one creator of the heavens and earth, not to any of the creation and that nothing other than God should be taken as a Lord besides God. When you put it like that, actually, the vast majority of Christians who are not like theologically pastor or deeply evangelical, they'll relate and they'll say, yeah, but they won't realize they're actually going against the creed that's taught in their church or the denomination they're part of. So I remember one time I, I used to give a class last year when COVID first started, it was a, a Quran class. And as I was giving the class, there was, you know, a bunch of, you know, Pakistani guys, a few Bengali brothers, stuff like that. And there was like seven, eight, ten people, something like that. There was a young, young uh, Amer uh, Caucasian guy, white guy. He joined, right? And first day, it says, you know, so-and-so is trying to join. And I asked him, and I'm like, does anybody know who this is? I was like, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people just trying to join Zoom groups and just, you know, trying to make trouble. He's like, no, no, that's one of my friends. So this guy is taking Quran classes, and I'm teaching Quran for three, four weeks. And then one day after class, he's like... You know, uh, uh, Assad, Hafiz Assad, he's like, I want to become Muslim. I'm like, you haven't been Muslim this whole time. He's like, no, no. He's like, I've been praying and fasting for two years. He's like, I haven't become Muslim because my friends, they were afraid to give me shahada. They're like, maybe, you know, when you're ready, you know, accept Islam. Don't don't just jump into it. Learn about it. So he's like, so I, we gave him the shahada on Zoom after, you know, the class ended. I, I didn't know after class, I used to have like a 15, 20 minute question answer session. And we just, it wasn't Messiah or anything, just basic questions people had. And, you know, 
life questions you know people were struggling with covid and stuff like that um so you know then he's the next day during class he asked a question about um david and bathsheba and you know i wasn't very familiar with the story and i'm like uh you know spur of the moment i was i was like you do realize a lot of times in uh christian lore or, you know certain text i was like the scribes you know they would add some masala or they would add some extra spice into it and i said that and some of the guys they messaged me back they're like you shouldn't have said that he just became muslim it's very wrong of you so i called the pastor the next day and i spoke with him we had a long conversation this is one of the pastors of one of the bigger churches in the area and i started you know saying some of the qisa to him from the islamic perspective and he says to me, he's like, Assad, he's like, I like your version better than ours. He's yeah. like, um, and, and I, he's like, he's like, don't ever tell anybody who I am. He's like, but I could really get behind your version over ours. Yeah, I've had that with more than one pastor. So, um, but you, you do, know, alhamdulillah, you deal a lot more and you're much more well worse than I am in these circles. No, and, and so that, and, and that's one of the things that going back to the point of, of families and, and just to have these constructive conversations about you know, encouraging a, an exchange of ideas that's not a culture war. And that's going back to your original point about being American and all that. Um, when the family knows that you're still Mark or Susan or whatever, and you're still from the family and that you're totally invested, actually, you feel more obligated to have a loving, caring relationship with this family because of being Muslim. And that now there's an interesting, healthy dialogue about why we believe what we believe and considering differences and, and what that means and, 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 and trying to navigate it. Developing that environment has led to so many conversions. Um, it's, we're brought out of time here, but there was an amazing story back when I was still new to Islam back in the year 2001. Um, a young girl named Dory who was a first grader, seven years old at Peace Academy. So her mom, uh, I'm trying to remember her mom's name. Can't remember it, but her mom was the English teacher for eighth grade and she's non-Muslim. And Dory was there in the first grade. And um, when she brought her daughter to come to the school, because that's where she teaches, um, the principal said, you know, she doesn't have to attend Arabic class or the Islamic studies or the prayer time. And she said, well, I don't have any problem with her getting to know. And, you know, they weren't very hardline Christians, um, a little bit secularized. And so about halfway through the year was I was I think it was December before the break. Um, Dory came in crying to the the Dohar Salah. And my job was to look over the, the kindergarten through uh, third grade Dohar Salah. And then I said, what's wrong, Dory? She said, Bilal is telling me I'm going to the hellfire. <laughs> <laughs> somehow somebody got this as a first grader that we should tell Dory that because she's not Muslim, she's going to the hellfire. Um, and so then, uh, I mean, it's a long story short. Uh, I said, well, you know, Bilal doesn't know what he's talking about because God judges people and he knows what's in our hearts and what will happen to us in our life. And when we die, it's something that's long ahead for, for you. And so don't worry about this. Don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So she said, but I am a Muslim. And I said, what makes you think you're Muslim? You know, she said, she said, because I believe that God is one and that he has prophets and that we should follow the prophets. And, you know, I've asked my parents, you know, if they worship Jesus and they even told me they don't, but they they still believe that he's the son of God. And then whenever I asked them, you know, um, 
should should we say that a person is the son of God? Um, they said yes. So I personally felt that was strange. And when I asked the teacher at Peace Academy, they son of God is like maybe a title of respect, but it's not a literal. God doesn't have children. Like God is not a thing like a person or an animal. And so uh, I was like, wow. So I went to the principal, told him. He was like, yeah, this is an awkward situation. So he was like, let me set up a meeting with the teacher. And then they set up a meeting with the mom and the mom was cool. She said, let me just talk to her dad and I'll go home and, you know, we'll square away. We understand you're not indoctrinating her. You're not trying to. And then and then the the next week, the kids in the eighth grade were asking, you know, uh, uh, you know, the teacher. And she said, you know, we respect if, Dor if Dory wants to say she's Muslim. You know, we're not going to sit here and tell her what to believe, you know, this free country and all that thing. And then they started saying, well, what if you become Muslim? You know, the, and then the, the eighth grader started telling the teacher, you know, you're going to have to divorce your husband when you become Muslim. <laughs> I mean, they're all just programmed with the worst literalist interpretations that are not meant for this point. Um, and she's like, no, I'm not going to become Muslim. I don't I don't think I can handle that, you know. And then like a few months later. Um, I come into the school and there's all these sisters, like hundred sisters, and the sister became Muslim. And then a few months later, it was a fundraiser. And at the fundraiser, Imam Suhaib Webb was there giving the fundraiser. And he said, I have a big surprise for all of you. And then he brings in her, her husband, who's wearing boots with a belt buckle and a cowboy hat and everything. He came proper Oklahoma, you know. Did you have a bolo <laughs> tape? Huh? Bolo tie or no? <laughs> no, I don't know about that. But so, so then he announced his faith and everything. And then later, the mom became Muslim, the grandma of Dory, and she wow. became the administrator of the school. So, Subhanallah, you know, it's it's an amazing, uh, you know. Uh, it, it, and what's what's interesting is the principal was very good to get involved in each time and make sure that people understood that these kids are just saying stuff and that they're not and he even actually talked with some of their parents that this is not how we should go about this and so that principled understanding is so important uh to have um i have another question i don't know if you want to come later on and do a whole holiday episode or if you want to answer it tonight i don't know what what do you think <laughs> no holidays i think we can cover pretty easy okay inshallah. okay uh, what's it called? Actually, I came across the same issue recently with uh, there was a lady becoming Muslim and I actually conversed with Imam Atif on that and we discussed that whole topic like that and Alhamdulillah, it's turned out pretty well. Um, the guy, he's not Muslim yet, but he's still coming to the masjid like pretty often. Um, so so the last one was how do we address holidays? I've read a few of, our, a few of your articles, Alhamdulillah, pretty good. I think they're on virtual mosque. Um, there's a rapid movement in Muslim circles. Muslims are trying to I don't know why we're trying to bring Christmas trees into our houses and stuff like that. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's my personal opinion. But like, you know, how do we how do we address certain holidays? Um, Christmas is obviously a religious holiday in a sense. It's not completely Christian in nature with a lot of the additives. But um, somebody who's becoming Muslim, how do we explain holidays to them and stuff like that? You know, can you give a basic idea of that? So one of the things that has worked counterintuitively uh, and it goes back to because if you look who are the main people that made this big campaign that we should completely disassociate with all holidays, everything is kufar, everything is bid'ah, everything is kufr and all of that. Um, you know, Saudi and, and India and Pakistan, you know, so those are the main people. But if you looked at uh, Jordanian, Palestinian, Syrian, 
uh, Turkish, uh, Egyptian, Moroccan scholars, all of them have always made throughout the decades uh, since Western uh, realities became common that there is munasabat that are occasions that are representing a customary reality. And then there's ayad, which are holidays that are celebrated specifically as an act of ritual worship in a religion. And you'll see it in the church or in the synagogue or in the temple or whatever as, as a sacred day that they hold as part of their religious calendar. And so things like the New Year's or a birthday or Thanksgiving or Fourth of July or whatever, those are all just customary occasions that are not related to the worship or the religious beliefs of any particular religion. So there's, it really doesn't, the fatwa doesn't make any sense. And I, I've, I've talked with various scholars overseas, and I even, one of the scholars that I met in Kuwait is a pretty hardline Salafi, um, and he just he he had this assumption why he said what he said and and he had read it from Ibn Baz and Ibn Rahimullah Ta'ala um that because it's a Christian country that we're kind of like they are that it's a Muslim country so whatever holidays they have would be Muslim and so here whatever holidays we have would be related to us being Christian that the notion of a holiday has to be related to your religious identity. So the notion of secularism, where you have these things that aren't related to religion, that are just social things, it wasn't. It didn't resonate with them until I explained it to them. And then when I did, then they were like, "Yeah, there should be no problem with that. If nobody believes that's religion and it's not an act of worship, then you can't say bid'ah or, or kufr because it's that's not what it is." Um, but when you come to a day that is clearly so, like Christmas, obviously is the is is the biggest example. Of course. Santa Claus and trees and lights and all that stuff is not really specifically a Christian act of worship, but there's no question that it is the day that they're worshiping on. It's a big deal Christmas uh, worship uh, on December 25th, and they relate those two, and that that whole entire day is related. And it Saint Nicholas is a historical figure. Um, with the Santa Claus is kind of like some sort of uh, fictional iteration. So obviously, as Muslims, we have to disassociate from this holiday. It's it's number one. It's not true, um, according to all Christian historians. The Jesus was not born on December twenty fifth. This was the um, emperor's uh, Christianization of pagan rituals of Saturnalia, um, and the same thing is true with Easter. But all of that is related. And we know there's not a flying fat man. I was crushed when I was a kid. I was seven, eight years old. I hid in the under the covers on the couch at one o'clock in the morning. And my stepfather comes in with the bag of gifts and he's going to put them in stuff from Santa. And I'm like, why is Santa sending you with his gifts? You know, like I was crushed. And then I mean, my sister was mocking me because she had been telling she's three years older than me. You know, um, it's not good to tell lies to kids and then break it to them later and like messing with their beliefs. And a lot of the secularism is built on this. You told us Santa Claus was real before we were whole kids. The tooth fairy was real. And now you're telling us it's not. So how is this God and religion thing? Like Maybe it's all just a sham, you know. So as Muslims, we have a, the, the truth is important. So but even Halloween, you know, is like there's a debate among scholars simply because. Wiccan and paganism is not a very common religion. It's actually less than 1% of the community. 
even that though if you study it it's clearly all wiccan pagan rituals on halloween so even I though the that vast article. majority of americans don't believe that and they're not following that and they don't relate it that way for me and for many scholars i think the majority it's better just to avoid getting involved in that i mean what's the big benefit of going around dressed up as something and filling your body with a whole bunch of toxic sugar um you know so so but some scholars have made the point this is you can't relate that to christmas because everybody knows that's religion and everybody's believing and going to church on that day whereas vast majority of people don't even know that it's just a fun kind of holiday thing so i respect the difference that that has been highlighted by some of the imams um but yeah it's just you know you have this clear religious connotation in christmas and easter and so what you would tell your family is as as a muslim uh there were there was a theocracy for many centuries and Christians had their churches, they worshiped, they celebrated Christmas and Easter and they were fully free to do that. And that's your right. I just don't believe that that's what God has taught. And I don't believe I, in studying it. I've come to the conviction that I need to disassociate with something that is not from revelation. And so that's that's my position. And so I respectfully disassociate. Now, giving gifts in that time is fine. Say so for example, in December, you give your neighbors or your family, uh, a gift and you say this is from you know your your neighbor Assad um I, I hope you have a, a a wonderful winter time you know I don't know if there's a, I don't see the reason to say happy holidays you could say God bless you and your family so we say Merry Christmas we'll say God bless you like why would that be bad no one will take that bad right uh holiday you know uh, happy holidays for me it makes sense for Jews they invented Hanukkah for this reason so that they could say, well, you know, like I have a holiday, you have a holiday, so happy holidays, right? So, but for us, we don't have a holiday that fits in December. So when you say happy holidays, everybody's understanding Merry Christmas. Um, there's a respectable fatwa that you're not intending to endorse or believe in it, but you're respecting people's um, rights. It's their freedom. Allah gave them the right to practice that. Um, if you're a Muslim man and you happen to marry a Christian woman, she has every right to celebrate Christmas and you can't tell her this is wrong for you. You know, you can, you just disassociate from it and you explain why with respectful, easygoing, um, without being rude or disrespectful. So I think that's the best way to, to, to navigate it. Um, it's very hard to explain to anyone. I don't do birthdays or new year's or 4th of July because it's disbelievers do it. And they say, but, Everybody does it. You know, it's like, why are you, what do you mean disbelievers? So now you're just, you're against everything not Muslim. You know, it's like, that's, that's not how we are actually. Yeah. yeah. No, I can, I can understand. And I think one of the main elements which gets lost a lot of times is the element of respect. Yeah. That being able to explain to somebody respectfully why you don't celebrate Christmas or why you don't celebrate Easter. And, you know, you don't have to get all in that, you know, you know, Hazrat Isa wasn't born, Jesus wasn't born on this day, and this is why we don't believe. It. You can just respectfully say we just don't, we don't, just don't celebrate it. It's very yeah. simple. Leave them, yeah. leave them be on their own. And what's it called? And, and it's a great point that you bring up that you know it's it's not necessary that to celebrate Fourth of July you have to do fireworks. You can just enjoy yourself with your family. You know, a lot of times people go watch fireworks. You don't have to tell them oh you did something haram. Just you know, just just take it easy, just chill. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good opportunity for a lot of people to chill. A lot of people, a lot of even cultural families, like Pakistani families, now they get together and they have a barbecue because that's what everybody else is doing. And it's yeah. just you know, you have a barbecue, 
people won't do fireworks because naturally speaking, us Daisy people were afraid of fireworks for the most part and burning our hands. But, you know, know, (laughs) just stay away from that. But a lot of people, they do fireworks, stuff like that. But, you know, for me, it's just fireworks is watching them. Sometimes it's fun, but a lot of times for people, they may be annoying. Um, Like if you're doing in a neighborhood, that's why they say not to do them in a neighborhood. And that's just being neighborly if they're asking you not to. Um, but just do fireworks. I mean, just do barbecue, chill out, maybe have some of the on-ground fireworks. Just, you know, enjoy yourself. And I don't think that's too hard to um, do. But uh, Imam John, Imam Yahya, whatever way you want to be addressed, we spoke about this beforehand. It's like, I'm comfortable with Yahya, but, you know, for the purpose of Dawah, he prefers John. Um, Imam John, I really appreciate you joining me. Um, Inshallah, this episode will be available, Inshallah, on Sunday on all audio platforms as well. So Inshallah, I'll send you that so if you can forward it. And Inshallah, there'll be some audio, uh, short video clips available as well. I really appreciate you joining me and giving me over an hour of your time. I know you counsel a lot of people. You give a lot of time to the community. Taking time out of that community time, I really appreciate it, truly. Um, Jazakallah khair for joining me. Well, yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's, it's always a blessing uh, visiting with you, Asad. Inshallah, uh, we'll see you soon. And uh, yeah, inshallah, I haven't gotten a chance to really collaborate with you that much. Inshallah, looking forward to a lot more in the future, um, through my job and stuff like that. Inshallah, trying to work out some programs with MCC. Inshallah, I'll, I'll email the the sister and try to work something out. But Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.